Uh, a few weeks ago, I went to this thing in Brisbane. It was kind of a leadership development-y thing, and I actually started it in 2019, and I was meant to finish it a few months later, but I finished last week, which was kind of good for you guys, because it's gotten a lot more expensive since we paid for it a long time ago. Um, so I went there. It's all really flash. They're in the Metricon. I've never stayed in a Metricon before. I probably never will again. Um, and they said, all right, we've got to go out for dinner tonight. Uh, Mitch, you'll need to wear different shoes. What, what do you mean? What do you, they're like, you can't wear thongs to go out tonight. I've, well, these are the shoes I have. Uh, like, like I said, literally the only pair of shoes you have in Brisbane. Yes, <laughs> the only shoes. Anyway, long story short, I couldn't go out that night. Uh, I didn't quite have the right shoes on. I don't know if you've experienced not having the kind of right thing for the right place. Because this part of the Bible is all about that idea, <clears throat> not having the right clothes at the right kind of time, the right outfit for the right place. Uh, what we're seeing as we look in this part of the Bible today is that the Christian life is more about knowing where you are than it is about what you do. We're in this series called Gospel-Shaped Worship, which is the idea of how do we live properly in response to Jesus being very valuable, a life based on the precious work of Christ. And according to this part of the Bible, one of the key parts of worship is having a life changed by knowing where you now belong. What Paul does is introduce to people uh, where they live now, where their new home is. And he says, because of your new home, there are certain things you should not wear and certain things you should wear. He says, you've got a new home, so I want you to put off, and then I want you to put on. Uh, the kind of opening of the passage here, he talks about that Christians are in a new place, a new home. This is a letter to the city of Colossae. Uh, at the time when they wrote it, the people there have probably heard about Jesus five or six years before. Uh, a bunch of them have become a Christian, sort of new small house churches have started. And this is a city that's just experienced a kind of post-glory moment. Uh, their boom is in the rearview mirror about 10 or so years ago. Uh, the economy, the culture, the city is on the decline, and these are people who have been looking around thinking, what will be the next thing to make Colossi great again? Which meant that many of them were actually ready to hear about Jesus. They were actually open to hearing about something new and different. Perhaps one of the reasons why the church has kicked off there. They've come to believe that Jesus is the one who saved them. And Paul is writing to them and saying to them, hey, listen, you've got Jesus now. You don't need to keep looking for a new thing. I don't want you to be Colossian people trying to get the Colossian life great again. I want you to know you're people who are in Christ, Christian people, people who now live lives of worship. They're to think of themselves as people who are joined to Jesus. Their new home is with Jesus. In becoming Christian, it's like they've been tied around Jesus' waist in his death, tied around Jesus as he was buried, tied around Jesus as he defeated death. Whatever is true of Jesus, he says, is true of them. That's how it said it in verse 1. Since you have been raised with Christ. Again in verse 3, you died with Jesus. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
it's a bit funny to say it's hidden with Christ in God. It's not hidden in the sense of, you know, hide and seek, uh, where are you? Boo, I'm with God. Not that kind of thing. It's the sort of same language of the Old Testament where uh, King David, he, he's in a cave and he's described as being sheltered from everything and protected by God. It's the same language here. He says, for the Christian person, you are totally sheltered from everything and protected by God. Jesus has done all that's necessary to stop you being taken. Nothing can get you. You have the same status as Jesus does. Sin-free, death-defeating. In God, with Christ, or as Paul says throughout the letter, in Christ. And because they're in this new home, safely tied to Jesus, he wants them to start thinking and feeling like they're part of a new place. Their kind of thoughts, their passions, what they want to do with their time. He he wants that to revolve around the gospel, the message of Jesus. He says, you're tied to Jesus, so let's move our hearts and minds to live around Jesus. Verse 1, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And here's one of the things for us to grab out of this as a, as a Christian worshipper. The reference point, the thing we look at, the kind of navigation target for the Christian person is seeing that we are completely tied to Jesus. If we want to understand ourselves, we need to understand Jesus. So we live in a kind of time and a cultural idea where understanding yourself becomes about kind of looking within yourself and and trying to figure out who you are and what the real you is and what you do with that. And that's incredibly complicated because when I look inside the real me, there are a whole grab bag of things. A guy who wants to eat a whole packet of Doritos at once. Not fantastic. A guy at times who would prefer not to do any housework and just watch television. A guy at times who does want to be kind and generous and who does want to help people. But it's so mixed, how do I pick which one of those to do? You can look at nature, can't you? You can see, okay, well, lions do this, and that's okay, so I'll do that. Crows sometimes eat their young and other things, so I won't do that. Um, It's very complicated. But... For the Christian person, it says, no, don't just look within inside yourself. The way you filter that and shape that and figure that out is look to Jesus, your reference point. You've got a new home. You're tied to him. What's true of him is what's true of you. That's who we are. Nothing can change it. We are with Christ in God. And now that you're in this new home, this new world, this new existence... Paul is going to say that some clothes just aren't appropriate. A bit like my thongs, or perhaps uh, others would say the day-off shirt I keep wearing. Um, It's actually, my dad used to, after he retired, he got a job delivering tablets for a chemist. I don't know if any of you have retired and then got a job, but it seems to be pretty common. And uh, when he passed away, we did the clean-out, and I got one of his old kind of chemist shirts it's so fantastic for where we're in the house, and I would happily wear it to dig in the garden, uh, to go to the shops, to be at Grand Central, to walk around the street, and then it got a hole in it, which is terrible. So I hand-sewed the hole up. You can imagine how good that job was. Now I'm happy to wear it in the garden, around the streets, or to Grand Central. 
maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> See, as the passage goes on, Paul is saying here that in this new location, in this new home, in this new place, there are some clothes that simply just aren't okay. Uh, there are some things that you should put off because you belong to Jesus. He says all the stuff that's associated with being kind of sort of earthly and not thinking about Jesus as your reference point, all of that, I want you to unbutton it, peel it off, leave it on the floor. Anything that doesn't match the truth of being sheltered with Jesus. Get rid of that from verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And Paul goes through kind of two types of list of things that they should put off in this section. Two types of clothing, behavior, two types of sins. He says, if you get rid of all of them, this will be honoring to God and bring you guys together as a church. Because these types of living create division and distrust. So he starts with the first list, uh, which is kind of sexual sins. A group of words these Colossians would have easily recognized as describing all kinds of, of sexual sins in their culture. Um, ways to talk about excess and obsession. Uh, Paul's message is they need to get rid of that kind of animal, sort of driven lust. Put to death, in verse 5, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And they did, these are, these are kind of non-Jewish people of all kinds of religions, pagan people, and they did have, have at the centre of what they did quite of an excess of a way of life. It was not unusual for powerful men to be able to have whatever partners they desired. Uh, a very known, well-known rite of passage, particularly for people who had a bit of money, but often for any, was that when males became of age, uh, they would go to a feast in the temple with all the other guys, everyone would be there, women would leave after dinner, then prostitutes of every gender would come in. Uh, and that was just a rite of passage for them. So they knew exactly what Paul was talking about when he says, I want you to get rid of that excess and that, that path of life. That's not the lifestyle for those who are in Christ. It's the first list of things to put off, he says. If you want to be people who, who worship the Lord Jesus, put off those things. But the second thing is sins of the mouth. These are the things that kind of uh, spray out in those moments where you've got no self-control or you know, at worst, those things that come out in calculated moments of nastiness. And Paul says they need to stop flying off the handle, stop tearing people down, stop being foul-mouthed just for the reactions. Verse 8, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. I've read a bunch of stuff and heard a bunch of stuff where they kind of break down each one of those words and tell you what it is. I don't know about you, but I don't need those words broken down in order to know which ones I should stop. <laughs> there are two lists he gives here, kind of sexual sins and, and, and speaking sins, sins of the mouth. And for Paul, he says these are two types of life that they should put off. These are clothes, he says, you would wear if you are not that interested in community, in friendship, in relationship. These are ways you would behave, he says, when your needs are at the centre of your life, but not others so much. These are things you do when you, when you kind of sleep with and lust after whoever you want. It doesn't really matter. These are things you do when you tear down the Gentiles because they're filthy. You rail against the babbling barbarians who can't read. You get angry at the bosses who won't give you what you want. But Paul says, 
you guys are now sheltered with Jesus. Nothing's going to hurt you. You'll be okay. You can put off those things and recognize that in Jesus, actually, everyone can be safe. In verse 11, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put off the sexual sins that ruin the community and put off the anger that does the same thing because you're sheltered with Christ in God. I mean, when you, when you become a Christian, this is what a life of worship means, right? Bit by bit, identifying these clothes and taking them off and then bit by bit putting on the new clothes because you now belong to Jesus. This might be obvious to say, but I really want to say it. If you're not a Christian, if you're not someone who calls yourself a Christian, this is not a list of things you should do in order to make God happy. That's not what it is. This is a way of life you live because God is already happy with you through Jesus. Once you're a Christian, these are the things you do. The sexual sins are obvious. We need to put those off. You, you know that and I know that. Uh, if you are look at, looking at pornography... You need to tell someone and get help to stop. Uh, It's a majority thing that men do, but increasingly it's now in between the 40s and 50%, it's also something that women do. It's inherently self-centered. It unquestionably rewires your brain. It exploits people. And it's fracturing our community. No longer professional, but peer-to-peer, made continuously and regularly from a very young age. If you're married, but flirting with someone who's not your husband or wife, you need to stop that. It's very dangerous. And it might be fun now, but I want you to play out the end game. I want you to walk through to the point where your marriage is wrecked, so is your reputation, and so is your family. If you're using your sexuality as a weapon to wrap people around your little finger, to get attention, to get them to do what you want, or if you're withholding intimacy as a punishment, that is not the kind of clothing that people in Jesus wear. The thing about sexual sins is we can spot them, and when we've done them, we can really feel them. They're very obvious. Affairs, sleeping around, gay people. But you know what? We, we rarely take as strong a line against the second list of things Paul talks about. The kind of sins of the mouth. Slander, those little pieces of information to kind of point out the foolishness of others, to, to bring them down and to bring you up. Lies, the kind of slight exaggerations to to puff ourselves up or avoid responsibility. The, The rage on the road. What are they doing in the line or at work? The Apostle Paul says those things are just as bad to wear for people who belong to Jesus. And you know, I am someone who is same sex attracted. Lots of you know that. And here's the thing I actually don't want you to be less disgusted at my sin. That is not what I want. I want you to be equally disgusted at your own. That's what the Apostle Paul would say for those in Christ. These are things, I want you to put them off without favour. I often wonder sometimes if God looks at us as his church and thinks, 
I wish they were worried as much about sins of the mouth as they are about sexual sins. How much of a better witness to the Lord Jesus we would be if we relentlessly pursued getting rid of all of those because of what Jesus has done. You're at a new thing now. We've got to put on different clothes. And I should wear the right clothes more often. Thongs are not always the best thing to wear. Uh, It's absolutely true. When I'm digging and my thongs break, that is my fault. When I go out for dinner, maybe I should put on shoes that are remotely appropriate. When I spray the lawn with whatever unlabeled concoction I've been given by the next farmer, covering my skin a little bit more wouldn't hurt. (laughs) There are the right clothes for the right place. And the Apostle Paul finishes and says, for those who want to worship because of the gospel message, let me tell you, there are not just clothes you should put off, but I want you to have clothes to put on as well. This is how he finishes, with clothes to put on. And it's a great section because it finishes with this kind of encouraging and beautiful restatement of what it means to be a Christian worshipper. Three words that are grouped together here and nowhere else in the New Testament. The words are chosen and holy and loved. And this is what Jesus does with his people when they come to him. These are people specially picked out. They're put on the mantelpiece and he delights in them. This is where Christian people are in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's who Christ's people are. And here are the right clothes those people put on. Clothes that describe a deep and enduring character. Words that are not just actions, but a deep-seated kind of in-your-gut way of life. Words that describe people who are not overly impressed by their own importance. People who are strong, yet mould their strengths for others. Those who wait with determination for what is right. Those who step out of the way, open the door, carry the load and clean the floors. In verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness Humility, gentleness, and patience. And look, Paul knows what they're thinking uh, more than we're thinking it, I think. Well, those things are lovely ideas. Uh, Compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Great ideas, but if you live like that, you will get trampled on. (laughs) And so much more in their culture... You know, the whole idea of humility, it was really sort of fostered and born and grown by the Christian movement. Uh, Prior to Christianity, it wasn't something that you wanted to have in your character. In fact, let me read for you from a historian of the time speaking in the normal way about how you would describe yourself, uh, and this wouldn't be considered um, being too egotistical. Here he goes. My family is not an ignoble one, tracing its descent far back to priestly ancestors. Different races base their claim on nobility on various grounds. With us, a connection with the priesthood is the hallmark of an illustrious line, Brought up with Matthias, I made great progress in my education, gaining a reputation for an excellent memory and understanding. While still a mere boy, about 14 years old, I won universal applause for my love of literature, insomuch that the chief priest and the leading men of the city used constantly to come to me for precise information on some particular in our ordinances. Now, if someone spoke to you like that over morning tea, you would back off pretty quickly. (laughs) But this was normal. That was how they did it. But Paul says, you know what? Jesus means a change. The way we want to live now and the clothes we want to put on are humble and gentle, compassionate and patient. And he knows how difficult that is. 
being patient is tricky in a group of people who get it wrong. A group of people who can't help but think about themselves. A group of people who are prone to thinking themselves too good or, or too bad. And Paul says, I know because of that, a Christian person will have to bear with each other. That's the start of a good Christian church. Just putting up with each other. And over time, copying the Lord Jesus and extending forgiveness. In verse 13, bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I want, I want you to put on forgiveness. And Paul tells him there's one last jacket to pick out of the cupboard. One that'll really help you. One thing that'll bring them together in their new home in Christ. And it's God. It's love, sorry. Love. The practical action that show their concerns for others. Here's how he finishes in verse 14. Over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, that those traits, they are, they are difficult. Gentleness, patience, kindness, those kind of things. And they can feel weak. But let me tell you why they're the strongest of all why they are far from a soft way of life. Because the person who faces someone that endlessly gossips about them, but forgives them and turns up and serves with them or goes to a small group during the week, that is hard work. You need to be strong for that. To the one who faces an abuser of any kind, and with the energy of Christ seeks to extend forgiveness and understand the one who has hurt their life, that is incredibly difficult. It requires so much strength. For the one who has a family that is fractured and is still being done wrong as one member of the family seems to get more than everyone else, yet they turn up to the family outing and they want to do whatever they can to make peace even at great loss. You have to be so strong to do that. Those things... When you live a life committed to bearing and forgiving, clothes like that always feel the wrong size. (laughs) But they are good. I'm sure that some of you do bear with people. You probably do it in your family or at work, and I suspect you do it at church. Maybe you know you're bearing with them, and maybe you're a bit grumpy at yourself. The best I seem to be able to do is just put up with that person. Sometimes that's all you can do. You don't want to be resentful, but if you're at the spot where the most you can do at the moment is bear with them, that's exactly what Christian people should do. It's better than slander and gossip and all of those things. So thank you for bearing. But we are in a new location now, forgiven by Jesus, with God, and being someone who lives a life of gospel-based worship means working hard at putting on those extra clothes forgiving each other, loving each other. I wonder if there's someone at church who has hurt you. I I know the answer to lots of that. Uh, I've been around church long enough to know that, of course, someone has hurt you. And sometimes it's worse than outside of church because here we expect people to be more godly. Here we talk about the deepest and most significant things of life and when we disagree, that is painful. And some of you carry hurts not just from this week, but from last century. And those things are hard. Maybe it was sins of the mouth. 
Maybe it was something else. Maybe it's someone in authority over you who just should not have done it. I don't want you to stay in that spot. I want you to put on new clothes. I want you to take the steps to forgive and love and even if you need help, please tell a good Christian friend or your ministry leader or your group leader or our elders or one of our staff team. Because we want to be people wearing the clothes of forgiveness and compassion and gentleness and kindness. And even though they feel uncomfortable and restrictive and ill-fitting, we put them on because that's who we are. Gospel-shaped worship means that because we are with Christ, we put on a new way of living. Let me pray for us. Our Father, it's a passage that sends us through a roller coaster. That list of sins uh, can hit our heart and make us feel like we fall incredibly short of you. And yet in that passage, you describe your people as chosen and holy and dearly loved, and that is what we are to you. You have tied us to Jesus. We cannot be separated from him. We're in a new spot. And by your spirit, will you help us to see the clothes we need to take off? Will you help us to take up the challenge of putting on the new clothes? All those words of gentleness and kindness and compassion and patience. We want to keep bearing with one another. And we pray you'd help us to walk beside each other and take on the challenge to forgive. Just as in Christ you've forgiven us. Amen.